Hoodoo plant mamas Get your soul fed And your spirit red This here in the trend I possess the power from way back when Back when folk was stripped from all of their kin So they had to find the magic within Ancestors and gather my herbs I conjure at my altar Hoodoo plant mamas Manifest growth and I release trauma. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody ain't from the deep south, man. Everybody can have culture like us. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Who Do Plant Mamas. I am one of your hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. And I know we've forgotten it's October. It is actually the end of Hoodoo Heritage Month, which is a celebration of Hoodoo and a chance to educate people about what Hoodoo is and what Hoodoo isn't. It's also the end of that Mercury retrograde that like everybody, <laughs> yeah. people who do not believe in astrology, they were like, this thing is real. <laughs> so it's the end of that too. <laughs> Thank God. Um, but anyway, Danny, how are you holding up after all that? I am doing the best I can. I tweeted a couple of days ago that like, yeah, I think I do at least like one spiral out the month and then I feel refreshed the next day, but I've had at least five this month and we are, we are at October 24th. So that means I've had at least one every week um, or two or two possibly in a week. So I am just doing the best I can. I'm also in my Saturn return. Like, I have to keep reminding myself that there's a lot happening, a lot of change, a lot of growth that I'm apparently am being resistant to. So, there's that. <laughs> but I have self-awareness. So, that's the plus. <laughs> um, I definitely feel that being resistant to growth, I... Uh, follow tarot by Bronx and I uh, watched their readings and something that came up for one of my signs was like surrender the need to be right and I'm like for me I'm not even like I'm trying to be right but something happened a few days ago and it's been bothering me for the last three days and I'm just trying to journal I'm trying not to because I could just text the person and be like hey you're wrong but I'm like no I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna try my best to just like journal to just try to go around this but yes you know no one's coming to save me but also it's not my job to go out and try to save other people so you know people can be wrong people can be loud and wrong and that's just part of their journey it's not my job to be like hey no (laughs) listen I think I have so much to learn about um relinquishing my need to control everything it's a source of a lot of anxiety. Like it's okay to just be free, like to not, you know, and I think I'm just faced with it in a lot of ways that make me uncomfortable, but because now I feel like I'm so uptight and I didn't realize it. Like I never realized, but now I'm starting to feel like, no, you're fucking uptight. Like you need to loosen the fuck up. And it's hard because if I'm not in control, I feel like something bad is going to happen. <laughs> it's so toxic. So, yeah. But shout out to, you know, self-awareness. That's all That's that's all I could give myself. Like, I'm aware. Doesn't mean that I'm actually, you know, addressing the problem. But I'm trying. <laughs> I think is that, too. Like, for me, anytime I become aware of, like, a maladaptive behavior. I'm like, okay, I'm no longer going to do this thing. And it's like, girl, you've been doing this for 20 years. It's not going to go away overnight (laughs) just because you wish it away. It's going to take time. Well, let's get into some gratitude. What are you thankful for this week? Um, I'm going to say I am thankful for my friends who have given me grace because if this uh pandemic has kind of put me in hermit mode and I'm just like so in my head and so focused on like 
making it to the next day. Um, and there have been some friends who have kind of been like, she hates me and will never speak to me again. But the, there have been a lot who are like, I understand you're going through a lot. I'm also going through a lot. And I really appreciate um, that level of understanding and that level of grace. Uh, and I think like we all need that during this time because this pandemic is a lot and it's still going on. I feel that. And I think, yes, I I've probably been that friend too, where people are like, what the, what's her fucking problem, you know? And it's just, yes, I'm thankful for the same kind of grace. And I am thankful for the discussion that we had with Nadia. You know, we always listen back. Um, And so I was listening to it and it just, yeah, that was such a beautiful discussion. So can't wait for y'all to hear it. So some ways to support us. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. To monetarily support our podcast, you can join our Patreon. We have a $2 tier for those who want to give every month to show their support. And we also have a $5 all-access tier, which includes monthly mini-sews, card pulls, and plant content. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can give any amount you want on Cash App, um, dollar sign, Hoodoo Plant Mamas, or PayPal, hoodooplantmamas at gmail.com. Thank you, Andy, for your donation. Um, I feel like you've donated to us before. So thank you for supporting the podcast. We really appreciate it. If you are interested in sponsoring the episode, email us at hoodooplantmamas at gmail.com. We especially want to work with Black, Indigenous, POC-owned, and queer-owned businesses. Let's get into the show. Hey y'all. Um, well, we are here with our next guest, Nadia Alexis. Before we get started, Nadia, um, would you introduce yourself and your work? Yeah, I'm a poet and photographer from New York City. Um, I'm a daughter of Haitian immigrants. I'm also a creative writing PhD student. So um, I make poems primarily and photographs well we're super happy to have you um super excited to talk about your work and I will let Leah go ahead and jump in yeah so Nadia I noticed that in a lot of your work there's kind of this plea to women and in particular I'm thinking of knees where the narrator talks about giving her mother her knees to leave her abusive father. So I I see this a lot with adult children where, you know, we see how our parents have been failed, particularly our mothers, and we want better for them. So I know for me and my sisters, you know, we had therapists in two different states tell us that we had the same exact problems, um, which helped me to realize, like, this was not our problem. This was our mother's problem that she didn't want to work through. Um, And so we have been kind of trying to work on her and be like, hey, we want better for you, too. So I'm wondering, like, what do you do when when you want better for your parents, when you think your parents deserve better, but sometimes they can't see that? Yeah, you know, I like to think that as I think about my parents now, especially my mom, that she does want better for herself and is maybe not certain in terms of which way forward with that and um so just to speak about that poem that you know yeah it was very much about my mother was pretty autobiographical um in the emotional spirit of it um so yeah I don't know I think that I think how you said it in terms of like it becoming sort of like your problem as the the child of the of the parents that's very real um, and shout out to my therapist for that. I think that that has been helpful, not only in my creative life, but also um, on a personal level. Like it's helped me personally, obviously, but also creatively because I'm able to kind of like see my parents more as like humans, um, flawed and um, yeah, I just can't, you, I just have to focus more so on what I can control 
Um, and so that all I can control is my, you know, my own life, um, the way that I curate it and the way that I take care of myself. Um, and part of that has to do with uh, making art. Um, I think that's a way for me to take care of myself. Uh, my art tends to be focused on very personal matters. So, or at least it start, it could start that way and maybe venture um, outwards. I love what you said about basically only being able to control yourself. And I think that's what I think about a lot with like the generational stuff that we see happening. I think so many black women in films have inherited unintentionally inherited certain wounds from our mothers or our parents and it manifests in different ways in our life. But I think that we take ownership and we break those curses by like, focusing on ourselves, not like neglecting our parents, but accepting like I'm next on this journey. Like, and I get to, I get to start over and I get to, I think we can also heal, healing ourselves. Sometimes our parents can reap the benefits of that in certain ways. Um, just even seeing us as an example. So that's what I was thinking about when you said that, because that's something I've had to work through as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking in terms of, because even my mom has said, like, you know, she has said that she has seen um, change and growth in me. And that was just the extent to what she said. And that was just enough for me to know <laughs> that, you know, she sees and that it ma- it matters to her. Um, you know, I didn't get that from my dad, but I'm sure he sees it also. So, yeah, that's it. That's all I can. Yeah. What you said, Danny, it reminded me of something I heard a while ago that said, like, you know, we tend to think of children as mirrors of their parents, but sometimes children can be doorways and kind of like you can learn through your child and you can you can grow um, and you can heal. Yeah, absolutely. I won't go into detail, but I feel like I have in certain ways, I feel like I have evidence that I have moved my mother even the way she talks about things is different now. Um, and so just to affirm what you're saying, Leah and Danny. I love that. I love us as doorways for our mothers. Um, so we've talked about this, Nadia. I, me and Nadia are friends. So yeah, maybe in case you hear the bias. But <laughs> so I remember before reading this poem, I'm about to mention um and I remember telling you the title had me shook when you know when I seen you post about it coming out um so the title is suppose you fail to cover your mouth and so evil spirits flew out of your body and I remember being like damn is that the poem that's a whole poem but when I've, I've read it so many times I feel like I read it over and over again each time I go to revisit it and my interpretation, which could be wrong, was I was thinking about the risk of opening our mouths and speaking of all the evils that have been done to us physically, emotionally, spiritually. And for Black women in films, there's always a cost to like speaking up, letting that thing that we've been um, like holding in out. Sometimes when we let it out, it's just chaos. Like, <laughs> You know, having the audacity to say this person harmed me, having the audacity to like defend ourselves. And so I wanted you to talk a little. Oh, and I also want to mention like the three possible in in the poem, there are spirits referenced. Um, Mm -hmm. And one seems to represent the speaker's memories. um, And well, all of them actually seem to reference like some memory, some something happening. And so. I wanted you to talk a little bit about what led you to this poem, like the intention behind it and how it came to such a commanding title. Yeah, you know, I had to write this poem for um, Poetry Workshop with Amy. This was like the superstition supposition week. And so the, the title is, it's like a superstition sort of edited. Um, I edited it like slightly, but I can't remember how different it is from it. Um, so that's what the title is. Um, and then it just went, it just went wherever from there. 
right? So that's kind of like what came out, some of that spirit stuff. And yeah, thinking about um, thinking about what it means to like, uh, yes, to speak up, but also I think, so it's like different sort of vignettes or memories that seem to pop up in it. And it kind of gets like very strange. And I think that, um, you know, I think there's like a, I don't know, there's something about going inward that can sort of um, spark that. And so I was interested in exploring the interiority part of what it means to um, to speak up or get ready to, or maybe you're dreaming in a dream space. Um, so I don't know. I don't really know how to explain that poem so much. Um, but what you said, I, I love to hear what how people resonate with it because I feel like I always get different responses. Um, but I think that in considering like going to through things like uh, trauma, like gender based trauma in particular, um, there's something about leaning on or reaching for spirit that feels, um, I don't know, like it just happens naturally. Um, and I found that, uh, I don't know, that's part of why it pops up in my work, like in my poems and also my photography. So, Nadia knows this. I'm a title person. Sometimes I won't read something simply off the fact that, like, I don't like this title. I'm bored. <laughs> Not all the time, but sometimes it's just like even the first sentence, like, what am I here for? Let me know. You know, like that title in person. This was one of those poems that it was like, damn, you meet that title and you got to go in, like, head first. So I was thinking about that, but I was also thinking about the themes and the spiritual under like undercurrents, if that makes sense of it. Um, but also like opening your mouth. Suppose you do and something mm-hmm. comes out that you weren't expecting. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's something so empowering about that. And I, you know, I was also thinking it's funny because when I was writing it, I actually didn't revise that poem too much now. I normally like revise my poems a lot, but I really didn't have to do much revision on that poem um, at all. And so it's funny how it took me to like, in my head anyway, it took me to like Haiti and then it also took me to New York. Like, so there's place there. And when I mentioned the word zombies, I always wonder like how people will take that. Cause you know, like, when you think of zombies in this country, like you think of like, well, some people think of like, you know, like movie zombies, you know, white people zombies. And that's not what I was thinking of. I was thinking about zombies like in Haiti or whatever. And what I, what I sort of recall about what that, who those people are. Um, and so I wasn't thinking, I'm, I'm self-conscious about that part of the poem because I'm like, I know some people are probably thinking of like, some white people shit but that's not what I'm talking about um so yeah it it took me all over the place um so I I that was an interesting process writing it so I agree with Danny I actually really love um the title of that poem and I remember when we were doing our list of people we wanted for the season and we were like brainstorming I was like why don't we get Nadia Alexis and she was like, of course. Because um, <laughs> it was just, it was like right after I had read that. And I was like, she would be perfect for this. But um, yeah, so my next question is, you already talked about experiencing uh, gender-based violence. And you write about it in your poetry. Um, and you wrote in Abad After the Storm about the complicated feelings um, towards abuse. And something you wrote in Watershed, even though you were talking about your father, speaks to this reoccurring theme. You wrote, how he must know what it's like to fight disappearance. Um, So my question is, how do you think we can use writing and photography to fight back against this erasure as Black women and as um, people who've experienced gender-based violence? And also, how can we ensure that Black female stories are Black stories too? Yeah, I think um, just the act of 
writing and creating and then sharing it um, with the world is how we can do that. You know, in some of my poems, um, there there are autobiographical elements, and then there are the elements where I might rewrite something. Um, so I wasn't able to rewrite it, you know, perhaps in the moment um, that it might be based on. And so I I think there's an uh, ability to take power back that way and rewriting. Um, you know, in my photography, I use movement a lot. And, you know, that's intentional because sometimes, you know, if you're in uh, an abusive situation or you've been harmed, like something has been taken from you or like maybe you're trapped um, or boxed in and, you know, I'm a move, you know, I'm a move. And it's not going to be a film, but I'm a move in the photo, in the frame. You're going to see me move. And that's a sort of trying to depict spirit in a particular way, too, like my spirit, um, our spirit has not been disappeared and I think there we have to take in other people's um art like read their work um support their visual art um and just like uplift it and engage with it I think there's different ways to do that I think you know having so having a podcast and interviewing people for that that's one way that you're doing it um, people can do it other ways online or like maybe stuff in person, um, archive, maybe writing about it. Like people that write about artwork and other people's writing, they're doing, you know, they're doing uh, serious work because someone's going to read that one day. Like someone's going to read it now and see it now, but they're also going to see it in the future. It might end up in a classroom, you know, or it might end up. I don't know, somebody might text it or something. I don't know what we'll, be, what we'll be doing 50 years from now in terms of communicating. But like, yeah, creating archive, preserving archive and like, you know, taking in the artwork and yeah, you know, calling it Black. Um, because it is Black, but you know, being intentional about it. So the active process, I think, rather than just, you know, admiring from afar. I think that that's, that's nice, but that's not how we're going to, you know, um, really elevate stuff. This is a bit of a crossover, but it reminds me so much of what Crystal Wilkinson talked about with Purple Black and including Black women in this idea that Blackness is perfect. Mm. That's exactly what that question reminded me of. And I think that Nadia, I think that... um you know, other Black women artists who are doing uh, photography and doing poetry and fiction are doing that in particular ways, like making us a part of the conversation of like, what what are Black stories? How do they look? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I also want to quickly comment on the movement in your photography because uh, there was something you said, but I definitely, when I look at, uh, your work and the movement, there's definitely a sort of restlessness, like the spiritual restlessness that you kind of feel. Um, and so I definitely resonated with that imagery of like the spiritual aspect of being boxed in or feeling stuck and you're, you're in this abusive or abusive situation and and or you experience this harm and you're just trying to move you're trying to move so I really love that um like it doesn't necessarily just have to be like interpersonal it could just be you know considering what it means to be a black woman in this world like how much we have to sort of cultivate just like safe space for us you know you know maybe individually or like communally and so I think um, I'm always, I'm often, as far as the visual, thinking about like what it means to return to to self and for whatever reason that often takes me to nature. So, I mean, I know why, but I'm just saying. <laughs> um, yeah. Another thing I was going to point out too, that's kind of going to go into this question is that like your poetry, um, there's a lot with the natural world happening, like really placing black women and girls into these natural spaces, even when they're not physically in natural spaces. So 
in the poem Cantaloupe, which is actually one of my favorite poems that you've ever written. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The girls, the women and girls in this poem are, they're swimming, they're flying, they're dreaming. They're in an NYC apartment, but yet they're in the ocean. They're in the trees. Like they're, you know, if if they say, if they dream it, they could be sitting on a beach eating cantaloupe. And it's just so lush. Like it's something so lush and sweet about the poem that I really like. And so I was actually going to read the whole second stanza. And then I was like, girl, you can't be doing that. But I, I pulled mean, an excerpt to, from my favorite stanza. <laughs> I pulled an excerpt so people can have an example and so they can go experience. My sisters and I climbed the plastic adorned couch in our living room. Mountains of clothes and blankets all over the rug for extra cushion. Today we dive into an ocean. Bellies full of fruit blessings and minds still on fire from a story Ma told us about a black girl in Harlem who could fly like a bird. We want to turn into dolphins and fly. We know we can wish this. Child, (laughs) I just... It's because we all been that little girl. We dreaming. I don't know if it's just the mind of an artist but we have all been that little girl in who knows how the apartment or the house looked, who knows what was just happening. We dream. And so anyway, before I get caught up in a moment, my question (laughs) is how has your, (laughs) how has your own relationship to the natural world impacted your art and the healing work that you do through your poetry and photography? Yeah, I think um, it's funny because, you know, I'm from New York, so I never really had, I never really cared for the natural world in the way that I do now. Like, you know, I'm, we, we do have parks and stuff. Like when I go back now, I seek out those spaces, um, the green spaces and all that and stuff that I was missing out on growing up. So I think moving to Mississippi had a huge um, impact on my life in that way. And I think that I was doing research for a poem, trying to figure out why my mother loves birds. And then I ended up, you know, becoming a bird lover. And so I think, you know, I went to nature more when I, like during my healing journey. And so it was kind of like uh, a natural thing that it would start popping up in my work more. Um, because of how, you know, how much it impacted me. I mean, there's stuff called, like, I recently learned that there's something called ecotherapy. Like, you have to, if you do that, you would have to do it in addition to traditional therapy. It's not a replacement for it. Um, But, like, I'm like, yeah, I believe it, because there's just something about going back to the land that just does something. Um, And I think so I guess, you know, the way that pops up in my poetry, I, I'm thinking about like the watershed poem, there's um, references to a town in Haiti that deals with flooding and things like that. So I'm thinking about how flooding impacts, um, you know, black people in ways that are disproportionately uh, just terrible compared to um, others. So there's that, there's a complex relationship with the natural world in terms of what can happen um, in nature as far as disaster. But um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty there um, to me. And so this idea of flight, I'm so obsessed with it. Like I literally get hype every time if I'm reading like fiction and if somebody's talking about flying and they doing so, I'm like, yes, like I just have to read it back, you know, cause I'm just like, this is me, you know, this is for me. Um, or what are they doing here? Because they might be doing some some different. Um, but yeah, I was gonna mention that too. I I noticed that, but I didn't want to get too deeply into it. That there's a lot of flight in your work as well. That I'm starting to notice with like the newer work. Yeah, I think just to say this idea of like knowing that you can wish something. 
like the the importance of being able to imagine something better for yourself is just so important and whether that's like imagining like oh yeah you know we could fly in this apartment that's connected to something bigger to me like if you know that you can wish something that means that you can wish something else that you can create some other kind of reality too or you can achieve whatever you want um you can take your power back that kind of thing so i was i was thinking about that uh, when i wrote that up um, so I wanted to keep talking about nature, but kind of shift to your photography series, What Endures. Um, and you wrote that it was about surviving the violence against Black women's bodies and Black women's spirits. So in this series, there are a number of photos of a woman in white who's in nature. And you talked about being inspired by Haitian voodoo and the spirits in the natural environment. So can you explain that a little bit? There is um, uh, a woman named, or a Haitian de- deity named Ezili Danto. And so I think about her a lot. She's like the, sort of like the patron saint for women and children who are survivors of abuse. Um, and so when I was making that work, I was thinking about her. I was you know, speaking to her in a way, like channeling her. Um, And so the natural world is important in Haitian voodoo. That is being outdoors and doing those ceremonies outdoors. That's important. Um, Going outside, I guess what, you know, like what I was saying earlier in terms of how it can sort of replenish the spirit and how being outside you know, there's a duality there in terms of the, you know, the darkness and haunting that's associated with certain landscapes in particular. Um, and then there's also the the life and the possibility there. And so I, I like to think that I'm suggesting that, you know, go outside, you know, go outside, run, fly, move. Um, there's a woman in the photographs. It's me. It's the self. There's a, those are mostly self portraits. I also have some images of my mom in the series, and something about like even though the image of the woman is contained in that frame, I'm hoping that there's something that seems some somewhat uncontainable about about her, um, and the choice to wear white and then the head wrap on the head is I'm thinking about ritual, um, and just you know like a different stage in one's journey quick quick question just kind of like a follow-up to leah's um Mm -hmm. how did you find how did you find out about this deity or like what led you to it with incorporating her into your art that's a good question because uh i don't know i i think i was just researching one day because i was trying to figure I've been learning on my own because, you know, growing up, I was told that it's like evil and stuff. You know, they lied to us saying that it's evil. Um, And so I was just doing research and trying to see if there was um, just learn about like each one. And she was the one who resonated with with me the most. Um, And then I thought, you know, I came up with um, I have a, a poem poetry series where um, it's like titled Prayer to Ezeli Danto. It's six poems in the series right now that are repeating in the title. Um, and the last line becomes the first line. So I, once I found out about her, I started to engage with her more. So thinking about her when I'm making the photographs, um, thinking about her literally like as I'm writing poems to her. Um, and so that was sort of, as an outsider to it, because I don't practice it, um, that was my attempt to sort of be in communication with her, because as far as I know, it's OK to to do that, to be in communication um, and reach out, even if you're not a practicing um, person. So, yeah, one of her things is vengeance. And I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not a vengeful person, but I think that that's wonderful. You know, like, yeah, you know, I. I understand why she would be vengeful. Like she was harmed and she also avenges, you know, women and children who have been harmed. So, you know, that sounds like justice to me. So we love to see it. <laughs> Leah <laughs> knows my views I, on that. 
So it's like a powerful figure. I just felt like she was a powerful figure and I wanted to sort of tap into that some. Um, and I'm, you know, really into like myth and folklore and things like that. And so, yeah, it was just like a natural thing I would be interested in. Because I, you know, because we're close friends and I, and you're the one who introduced me to Lucille Clifton, which I talked about on our um, introduction to this, to the series. Can you talk a little bit about Lucille Clifton's impact on your work? Because talk about a patron saint. Mm-hmm. I, we're so lucky to have Lucille Clifton's work, like. You know, and so, and I feel like now that I've, I'm getting more into her work and reading more of her work, I see the influence a lot. And so, yeah, I just want you to talk a little bit about her impact and, and just getting introduced to her. Uh, I think that, um, I, you know, I love Lucille Clifton. Um, one of her poems has been important to me, uh, as you know, um, in particular, and I'll get into that a little bit, but it's just the way that she says things with like she's able to zero in on a moment or certain moments and just say things so simply um, and yet so powerfully. And so it's also a reminder to pay attention in your own life, to write your own particular, your own stories, to not to be engaged, not to be afraid to, to engage with spirit, like your own spirit um, or beyond that. And so I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I really love her her work. Won't You Celebrate With Me is, I love a, multiple of her poems, but that is the poem that I, I have that poem memorized. And I think that that poem, when I say it, it speaks life back into me when I need it. Like that poem is spirit. And I'm like, okay, let me get some of that. Cause I'm, you know, I'm faltering right now and I need to, to stand up, you know, I, I'm about to fall. And so that poem really, um, really helps me want to celebrate with me because I, I also think that it's a poem that a lot of Black women can re- relate to. You know, I had no model and, you know, I created something anyway. I made something of myself and every day something's trying to kill me and they just cannot take me out. And that's powerful. You know, that's powerful. So I'm like, I need that energy. And so I... I use that poem as medicine, you know, I think poetry, I didn't even really, like, I knew I would talk about poetry, like, you know, poetry saved my life, and, like, I love poetry, and da 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 and going to a poetry reading is like church, but, like, you know, there are really some poems out there that are, that just have that kind of impact, um, and poets that have that impact, and Lucille Clifton is one of them, she's, like, she left us so much, um, that we can look to in terms of, you know, whether it's Won't You Celebrate With Me or another poem in terms of self-love or praise of menstruation or whatever. I just think that, um, yeah, I think that I listened to that episode that y'all had and I thought it was so appropriate that she would be, you know, the inspiration um, because she is a, a guiding light for so many of us Black poets in particular. So, Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes. Amen. Something that I wish, like, because she has talked about um, wanting to publish her spiritual writing, and I know, like, you can only find it at Emory University. They have her papers locked up. But I'm like, she talked about wanting it published when she was alive. Can her family, like, publish it, please? Yeah. That's something I want. <laughs> you know what? Like, I wonder if it's, is it locked up, locked up? Like, could you, could somebody get funding to go there? I think anyone can go in there and and see it. Yeah. You have to go in person, which I don't like because I I, I want to, I, it's something I hope to do. I, I think you were about to say something similar, Nadia. Um, but yeah, I hope to go there and and see them since, you know, they do got them technically on lock. Yes, they are on lock. And I, I was recently thinking about how, like, you know how people will be like, they're like a Faulkner scholar or Eudora Welty scholar. I'm like, we need some, like, no, I know that there are people that study the work of Black writers, but I think that the white writers are elevated in a particular kind of way. And, like, we got Lucille Clifton scholars, or maybe we can encourage that more, or Toni Morrison scholars, and I, you know... That's just something that I've been thinking about. She is definitely one poet that I think would be 
um, should be should be elevated more. And like we should have a bunch of Lucille Clifton scholars mm-hmm. out here, like just for real. So, yeah. I'm a, I'm in academia, so that's why I'm thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the last question I had, and it's just like I'm curious. So I saw your Caddy interview, and for those that don't know, Caddy stands for Caribbean Cultural Center African Diaspora Institute, and you talked about being mentored by Carrie Mae Weems. Um, and so for me, for my senior digital art project in college, Lorna Simpson and Carrie Mae Weems were my comps um, because I love their work and I use them kind of as inspiration for my uh, series. So I'm wondering what that experience was like being mentored by her and exhibiting in Cuba. Yeah, it was um, it was wonderful. It, it's funny because I came across her work um you know, many years prior to that. And it was influential for me, but I never thought that I would meet her one day, let alone, you know, work with her. And so it was kind of surreal. It felt like a full circle kind of moment. And I think she um, is also very encouraging, um, very straightforward, um, and definitely cares about uh, mentoring. um, Well, seeing that seeing that there are Black artists um, that come after her that are able to continue to make work and be supported. Um, And so, yeah, it was a fellowship program that I was in. um, And so there was like nine or 10 of us that were able to work with her. So she gave us some feedback on our work um, and gave us, you know, ideas for moving forward. And of course, we got to exhibit with her in Cuba. And you know, she had mentioned that, um, so she was going to just exhibit in Cuba, like by herself and maybe invite some other people, um, to exhibit with her in the house. And then she mentioned that when she saw my work from what endures, that's when she realized that she had to invite us. Like she wanted us to be there. And I, I didn't know that upon, I didn't know that immediately. She mentioned it like much later and somebody got it on video and I got it on video. So I will never forget it. You know, I'll be able to go back to that moment. But I thought that was interesting because she's interested in, in spirit. Like the name of the, the exhibition was, uh, shoot, the spirit that resides is, was the name of it. And so each of us, all of us, the artists, there's photographers, there's like um, installation artists, there's, all kinds of different like musical artists um shoot what does he do there's somebody who does a lot and I can't really describe what he does I'm sort of like he's more in the art world than I am so all of us were engaged with spirit in some kind of way including Carrie Mae Weems and so I think that um I don't know it was just very encouraging and like it was wonderful to have our work seen on an international stage and see how we were work. How our work was in conversation with each other, and how it stood, you know, by itself. And um, she's still in my in my corner, um, and that is uh, definitely wonderful. Love it. I'm glad you asked. I I wasn't gonna mention it. Um, I don't know. I was like not gonna mention it, but I'm glad Leah found it and mentioned it because I was like, I ain't gonna put her on the spot, but. I wanted to know. No, no, I'm glad you did because you found this. Like I did not mention this. Leah found this. Um, I think almost everybody we've talked to is interdisciplinary. Uh, your photography, visual art, poetry, some other genres, but you know, at some point, <laughs> and <laughs> um. We had someone that also does like visual art performance. Um, Just all black artists are never usually doing just one thing. And so I love how your uh, photography and poetry is in conversation and also um, so much spirit in it. I think it, I think it builds off of um, the sound, the foundation uh, set by Akasha and soul talk that like, black people are doing spiritual work in so many different um so many different avenues yeah so yeah I I I love this conversation 
Definitely. And I think there's something about, I don't know, something about like needing to sort of dabble in different mediums. Like what we deal with is so large. Those things can be so big. And it's kind of like, let me take a little bit here. Let me take a little bit here. Or let me let me say something through this way and say something through that way and see, you know, how it lands. If it So it seems appropriate to me that we would be dabbling in different in different genres and the relationship that we have to, you know, photographs. If you think about, I'm not to open up a can of worms, but like the history of how black people are have been portrayed in, in photographs by other people, you know, white people, for instance, and like what it means for black people, black women to like photograph themselves or make photographs of other people. And, you know, you essentially you live, forever through a photograph right you make a photograph of the person and they're alive in that photograph forever and so even that is a sort of spiritual endeavor there um but yes yeah, it, it seems like it makes a lot of sense to me that we would dabble well any final thoughts before we wrap up this was just this fed my soul i really hope y'all know <laughs> this made my day really <laughs> talk about this <laughs> Thank you. I don't have any other thoughts. I appreciate y'all for having me. And this is definitely um, the best part of my day. So thank you. I just wanted to say thank you uh, for coming and for speaking with us about your work. I really, really, really loved your photography series. Thank you. Like you said, Danny, that was a great interview that we had with Nadia Alexis. So what are you still holding on to from this talk with her? I'm holding on to a bunch of stuff. So I really love the conversation about our healing being translated over to our parents or like you said, which I really loved us sort of being doorways for our parents healing. Um, I think our parents or whoever raised us, because I feel this way about my grandmother, like seeing the ways that we live in a way that's different from them or just like a a level of freedom that we have in the way we navigate the world, I think it impacts them for the better. Um, And I also love the conversation about Black people and our relationship to nature um, because it's so complex. Um, It can definitely be a source of healing, but then you also have um, a lot of environmental racism and just the ways like white supremacy even infiltrates the natural world and we're disproportionately impacted by that um so I just think that's like an important thing to think about um and I love that Nadia places especially black women and girls in nature whether it's literally or it's like the imagery in her work and then lastly I love the mention of Lucille Clifton as a guiding light for black women and girls because it's so true. Um, one of her poems that I think about all the, actually all the time, which is so weird, it just comes to mind, is why some people be mad at me sometimes. And the poem is literally just, they ask me to remember, but they want me to remember their memories and I keep on remembering mine. And I feel like that's literally our experience as Black women. Like people want to rewrite <laughs> really black people in general, they want to rewrite the violence that they've inflicted on us and gaslight us. And I think the work that Nadia and other black women, other black folks do with reclaiming our memories and our stories, like I think that's such important work. And I think that poem is literally what I think Lucille Clifton was getting at. Yeah, a lot of what you said, I did really love the conversation about um, kind of parent-child relationships and the wounds wounds that we can inherit um, from our parents. And that was something I was trying to focus on in my book. And like the focus of that have kind of changed because I've been thinking more about um, the mental and emotional wounds that we get from our parents, the kind of like secrets they keep from us that we inherit anyway, because they didn't warn us. And I remember I was fussing with my mama recently because she will go to the doctor and something will be wrong. And she's like, oh, I just don't want to worry you about it. And I'm like, girl, I have 50% of your DNA. You need to tell me 
what's going on so that way I can be prepared when I go to the doctor. But she's just like, oh, I don't want to worry you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, this, your problems are my problems too. <laughs> um, And then something else, which is what you talked about when you talked about how many Black creatives are also interdisciplinary artists and how Akasha Gloria Hull talked about how Black people do spiritual work in so many different ways. And so last week on Twitter, there was a lot of discussion about ATRs and the lack of respect towards their structure. But something that stuck with me was this idea that black different black people have different roles like it's not all of our jobs to be readers or diviners or conjurers or root workers like some of us have spiritual work that may not look like spiritual work um which could be dancing and singing and for us writing like that is our spiritual work um and yeah Yes, I love that. And I agree. I seen, you know, I try to check out those conversations. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I get it. A lot of people are just trying to educate, but sometimes it just gets to the point where it's like, this is why you kind of get what you can from the internet. Because I'm, you know, I've learned from a lot of people who I feel like I'm in virtual community with. But most of the time, some of this work, we got to like, do some personal self-interrogation um and so yeah so any other final thoughts yeah like you said I really love the discussion that Nadia had around Lucille Clifton and how she can do so much with so little which I think we've Mm -hmm. talked about a lot in this series and it's just like it's kind of bittersweet to discover her like in my twenties. I wish I would have known about her earlier, but she came at the time that I needed her and reading her work has just been so affirmative and you feel seen. I agree. I love how, even if you don't connect with all of her poetry, you'll probably find at least a couple of things, even if you're not a poetry person, um, because her writing is just so authentic and it's just real life. Like that poem I mentioned, why some people be mad at me sometimes. I just feel like universally black people can read that and be like, you damn right. (laughs) (laughs) Like seriously. So yes, I definitely see her as sort of like this guide and light for us. Um, Oh, her name means light. light. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Nothing's coincidence. Um, well, if you like this episode, you can like, rate, and review Hoodoo Plant Mamas on Apple Podcasts. If anything from the show resonated with you, make sure to share it with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye, y'all. Bye.